0: hello soccer players welcome to the latest episode of the soccer fitness experience it's me your host andy and today we have a special guest on the podcast we're here talking about how to maintain and even improve your fitness and performance during ramadan um, so i hope you guys enjoy this episode let's start out very very basic will a six-pack help me as a soccer player logically why pre-game meals are important if Strength training is important. I don't care how you do your strength training. I don't you know. Some people like to go to the gym. I just wanted to double down on that really quick. The point is you have to get stronger. Hello, soccer players. Welcome to the latest episode of the Soccer Fitness Experience. It's me, your co-host, Andy. Uh, Berg isn't here today. He's dealing with some stuff while, uh, while he's closing up his house in, uh, in Massachusetts. So it's just me, but we have a very special guest on the show today. His name is Dr. Kirkendall. He is a Ph.D. researcher, um, has done work with Duke University, with FIFA, with U.S. soccer. So, Doc, go ahead, introduce yourself. Thank you so much for coming on the show, and we're, we're happy to have you today.
1: Hey, well, Andy, thanks for giving me a ring, um, Give me a different source of entertainment during, uh, during this quarantine period.
0: Yes, sir. Um, and how, how are you dealing with the quarantine personally? Like, what's your, what's your schedule like right now?
1: Well... Uh, I'm retired, uh, but I um, I freelance doing through do medical editing for orthopedic surgeons, writing manuscripts and for publication. And um, with them not doing as much surgery as they would normally be doing, they're catching up on all their writing tasks. And so I'm actually fairly busy right now. I'm going to put in, you know, six to eight hours a day of uh, editing on my computer. Um, so I, I stay fairly busy. Um, I'm not like some of these people that are walking around bored to death and trying to find something to do. I've got plenty to do.
0: (laughs) It's kind of crazy. You're retired and I'm a student and somehow you're working more hours a day than I am right now. Um, That's kind of funny.
1: Yeah, but I'm getting paid.
0: That's a big point. (laughs) Um, So you've done work with FIFA, U.S. soccer. Can you kind of give like a 30 second summary of like your career so far so the listeners can kind of understand where you're coming from?
1: Well, just about the soccer side. um, I tend to say that I'm one of the few people of my generation that can say they grew up playing the game. Most people didn't start until much later. I actually played the game all my life. Um, Did, um, played college at Ohio University, played the um, um, amateur slash semi pro leagues wherever I was living. Semi pro is, you know, very low level. Couple bucks game kind of thing, um, um, but anyway, I got a B license back when the licensing process was new. Uh, I've coached anywhere from uh, four and unders through college. I was supposed to be doing my grandson's eight and under team this this spring, but that's gone by the wayside. Um, when I moved to Duke, I started working with the team physician for U.S. Soccer, and that got me into U.S. Soccer. That connection led me to uh, FIFA and worked for fifa for about 12 years in a branch of fifa known as the fifa medical assessment research center it was the medical research program within fifa and did that until retirement around 2015.
0: solid and just to be clear for our listeners here since we have a a younger crowd when we say fifa we are not talking about the video game we're talking about the the footballing body so um Crazy background, super happy to have you on, and you have a lot of insight. and In 2012, you you did some research on Ramadan and how it impacts performance. Um, can you kind of say how it impacts a player's speed? Because speed is something players really, really care about. What does it do to that?
1: Well, you can look at it from two different standpoints, all right? A lot of the research. Let me back up. One of the hard parts about doing research on soccer is that um, what you do in terms of research project and what players are actually doing during a match can be two entirely different things. Um, and uh, so you try to mimic a match as best you can, but um, you're never going to do it in a closed setting. So uh, there's two ways to study the game. One is study the actual match where you get these video or accelerometer or GPS-based units and track players all over the course of the field, and try to map out what they do during the game. Um, or you design up some validated and reliable field tests and test them outside of the game. Um, and so you find that there. You, sometimes you may say, well, you almost get two different two different results when you look at the two uh, studies on speed in um, in soccer can be field test based. You know sprints. 10, 20, 30, 40 meter sprints, uh, or variations on that. Uh, or you can just look at the how much high intensity running they do during a match. And high intensity is de- des- defined by some specific speed, which is usually um, specific for the age. Um, part of the problem with research and using those kind of devices is they tend to be a little expensive, and the only people that can afford them are people that got money, right? meaning pros hmm so you have a problem about trying to extrapolate from pros down to a 14 year old kid playing for their local club regardless um, if you look at speed as tested um, um, in a training study um, typical way they do it but to look at speed from two standpoints that way too, They'll look at it from from your how fast you can run which is what most people think the other thing to look at is um, How fast can you do that over and over and over again? Mm. My whole point about training for soccer is is it's not about how fast you are. It's how fast you can do it over and over and over and over and over again. So that means how fast can you recover from one sprint to the next? If you recover faster than the guy covering you, you're going to look an awful lot faster even if he is. Mm. But he's tired and you're not. right. So you got to train to teach you how to recover. So there's a class of tests referred to as repeat sprintability tests which is usually um, six or seven 30-meter sprints, where you start every 30 seconds. So you get about five or six seconds for the sprint, you get about 24 seconds to trot back to the starting line, and then you go, ready or not. And then they a bunch of calculations that go with that. Anyway, what you find is that um, the results of the uh, repeated sprint tests, whether single speed, average speed, amount of fatigue, or whatever, you find that the um, uh, during Ramadan the player takes a bit of a hit during the first two weeks. Um, uh, everything they all those test results drop. When um, when you give them um, take them back to the to the end of it for the next two weeks, those results tend to normalize, come back to what they did before the Ramadan started. So you had this U-shaped response over time. Now, if you look at uh, speed during a match, right? Um, the way they've looked at that, it's not a research study, it's more of an observational thing. Is when you, these um, teams that have access to these uh, you know, big data acquisition capabilities, uh, they will um, uh, look at Muslim players during Ramadan and then outside of Ramadan and compare their results. Mm. And what you find is that, uh, and they're looking at it for a game, so it's not over a four week period, we're looking at it today for 90 minutes. right? So uh, typically what they do is they take all this data and they massage it down and they report data in 15-minute segments of a game, all right? So 0 to 15, 15 to 30, 15, 30 to 45, et cetera. And what you find is that, as you might expect, the, the fastest stage of running during a match is the first 15 minutes of the game when you're nice and fresh. During the next 30 minutes of the first half, the, high speed, high, the highest speeds that they are running drops by almost half Wow! during the next two, uh, 30 minutes of the game, of the half. Come back out for the second half, there's a bit of a bump at the start of the second half. And in the second 15 minutes, it drops down. And in the third 15 minutes, it rises back up, right? And it rises back up, so it's only about eh, 10 to 20% below what it was in the first 15 minutes. What well, they so had this U-shaped um, plot of speed during the course of the game. And um, most people and the people who report this stuff say this is probably less than, you know, it's a it's a a perceptual response by the player to what their feelings are during the course of a game. What that means is they're pacing themselves.
0: Interesting.
1: Wow. So they know what they got to do. And they know and everybody everybody knows that the action occurs in the last 15 minutes of the game. They want to try to save some of that. If they blow it all in the first half, they're going to get killed in the second half. So hmm. they work, work hard at the start. Maybe they can get an advantage. And then they just sort of settle back. And they settle like that until the last 15 minutes of the game, and then it rises back up almost to what it was at the start of the game.
0: Hmm.
1: That's a typical response.
0: So let's kind of recap some of that. When when we're testing players out in the lab, where it's just a researcher and a player, mm-hmm. <clears throat> what you're saying is this ability to res- or to sprint repeatedly over time that's going to drop now when you take for two weeks and then after those two weeks it goes back up
1: yeah you got to remember that when we we go on about this because that comes into play there's a theme to that so stick with us on that
0: all right so everybody remember those two weeks very very key A drop dropping the
1: first two weeks and a recovery in the last two weeks
0: when a player is on the field playing in an actual game do you think that because they know that their performance may drop if they give hundred percent the whole time, they're gonna? That's why they're pacing themselves. They slow down for that middle portion. You played. Yes.
1: All right. You played. Uh, you play a game um, Saturday morning at ten o'clock, and they some idiot schedule for another game at five o'clock. What are you going to do in the first game? Are you going to give it all in the first game?
0: That's a good point. I'm going to slow it You're down. Okay.
1: Pacing is a part of the game that people don't pay much attention to, but players do pace themselves during a the game. They find, they find periods during a game where they can
0: effectively hide. Interesting. interesting. You've done it.
1: I've done it. Everybody's done it. Whether they want to admit it or not, there are portions in almost every competition where you try to find a spot where you can hide, where you can recover a little bit. Mm. You That's all do it.
0: So that, that's talking about speed, speed endurance type. What about strength? How does Ramadan affect a player's strength?
1: Um, mo- in, most cases, in most cases, there's going to be a drop similar to, what, um, to the speed, you know, sort of the U-shaped thing over the, over the four weeks. There's a drop in the first two weeks and it re- recovers during the second two weeks. Now, that's what you get when, when people are just doing regular training. You can do things to try to minimize that drop. You can do things to minimize that drop in the speed. We'll get to that. Mm-hmm. That's I guess, part of the point of your this podcast is how to minimize those drops during the, during the period.
0: Yeah, so let's get into that. When a player's training, um, how can they avoid these drops in both speed and endurance and strength? Um, we're talking about this two-week window again. Like, What's that all about?
1: Um, part of the Part of the reason for that is, um, um, is, for lack of a better term, it's a coach's decision. Their assumption, all right, their assumption is that this period of time is really hard on them, so I'm not going to push them very hard. Mm. And so they back off on training. They drop back to volume. They drop back to the intensity of training. And the surest way to lose fitness is to lower the intensity of training, all right. And that's the surest thing that's going to, that's the surest way to lose fitness is to drop intensity. So coaches tend to modify their training in order to um, accommodate this. <clears throat> and what you find is that you know, sort of raises the question, is that drop due to Ramadan or is it drop due to the reduction in training by the coach? Um, the, um, what, that's what we were seeing when you talk to people back in, you know, 10, 10 to 20 years ago when we were doing this stuff. Uh, or when we first started looking at it, um, what um, what has uh, evolved out of all of this is that um, if you look at the um, sort of the sociological, psychological impact of Ramadan on people, on Muslims, is the first first week or two is tough, right? Mm. As they try to accommodate to what's happening, because see most people are like you know from our side of the atlantic you know uh, ramadan's a fast right ramadan's less a fast and more just a phase shift in when you eat Mm. right they don't eat any less they tend to drink a little less but they don't eat any less than they did before they were on ramadan they just eat it at a different time of day Mm. and to get three meals in during from sunset to sunrise somewhere your sleep's going to get interrupted
0: Okay. Yep.
1: So their sleep is interrupted. And so that, that kind of thing impacts the, you know, the, how a person feels about what's going on. They get used to it. And all these, you know, um, um perceptions about how they feel and what their mood is and everything that all starts to rise towards the end of, towards the end of the, the period, the last two weeks. So what has happened is it coaches, they're smart people, all right? So what they figured out was that, well, I don't want to, I don't want to reduce training that much, but I gotta allow for the fact that the first two weeks of this thing is kind of tough on people. So what coaches have done is, when they look at their calendar for the year and they look and see when Ramadan's going on, which is going on right now, for us or for them, is um, uh, what coaches will do is they will plan their annual training calendar where the first two weeks of Ramadan is for all intents and purposes, a tapering period. Mm. Where they taper down. And in tapering, you know, you can taper down by dropping volume, dropping frequency, dropping intensity. Um, you wanna try, what they'll try to do is they'll try to drop the volume down, the weekly volume, I mean days and minutes per day. They'll drop that down and try to keep the intensity as close as they can. So instead of doing five days, instead of doing six days a week, just to make my numbers easy, they're doing six days a week, and they're doing um, an hour and a half of training a day, right? They can, add whatever intensity, they can drop that, they can drop that um, uh, uh, frequency six days down to four, or they can drop that hour and a half down to an hour, but keep the intensity, and you'll maintain fitness, right? So okay. they're tapering it to, in order to maintain the fitness they are not going to drop intensity. You can drop fitness. You can drop intensity. No, no. You can drop days per week, or you can drop minutes per day. As long as you keep intensity, you can keep what you've got. You're not going to get better, but you're not going to lose much. Mm. Right? So they figured this out, and so they, what they've done is the first two weeks now is going to be a taper um, in training, and so in order to time this taper, they've got to plan this back from when training started at the beginning of the year, you know, whenever that was. And just incorporate a taper into that period Mm. and then bring it back up over the last two weeks when they're starting to feel better. By the time they get to the fifth week, meaning one week after Ramadan, they should be ready almost where they would normally be the next week after the week before Ramadan. Okay. Yep. Right. So what's happened over that four weeks is you're you're trying to maintain. Not really going to get much better, but you can certainly maintain Mm. if you plan it.
0: Okay. So... For the coaches and the players out there, what you're just what you're saying is consider dropping the amount of minutes every time you play or practice and consider yep. adjusting the amount of days per week. Right. But the big message is keep that intensity, keep that high pace, whatever you're doing, keep that the same. Just cut back on the minutes or the days.
1: Yep. You can cut back, you can cut back minutes and days by a third, one or the other. You can cut two days out, you can cut a half hour out. Keep the intensity or keep your fitness.
0: All right. So what about diet? What can players do to adjust their diet to help maintain these, these fitness gains?
1: Uh, for the most part, during Ramadan, the diet doesn't change. Now, there can be some family um, um, menu plans that are unique to the family. But as long as a player is eating, you know, the normal, well-balanced diet of carbs, fats, and proteins nice colorful diet of all those things and eat what they need and what they want. Um, you don't really have to make much in the way of any changes. And one thing you find is because, because what you find is that is that during that month of Ramadan, um, the average weight loss, because people are thinking of fast, people are going to lose a lot of weight. The average weight loss is less than a kilogram. Really? And most of that weight loss is, is water. Mm. All right. So the, I um, uh, don't have really have to, Go in and consciously make any change. You know, they, they got to get their mindset ahead of time. They plan for this. And, you know Ramadan does this and sleep sneak up on you, and all of a sudden, whoa, that starts tomorrow. You know they have been planning for this. You know they have to. You know the family's making certain purchases. They're planning out family gatherings. Maybe not this year, but normally they would. Um, and uh, so the whole month is mapped out. So they just have to keep eating what they're normally eating. You're just eating it. You're having a big meal after sunset and you're having a big meal before sunrise and you have something in between, you know, lunch somewhere in the middle of the night.
0: Mm. Now, As what you about them, you know. what about diet for players or um, even coaches or anyone like that who can't adjust their sleep schedule, who have to go to school, college, or work from eight to five? Like what's your advice for them, especially when it comes to diet and sleep?
1: You're talking about the Muslim player, right? Yes. Um, there. Uh, well, this comes. This comes down to. Well, you're looking at diet and you're looking at training within this um, schedule. Right? When do you do, When do you eat? When do you sleep? When do you train? Um, the other thing to remember about Ramadan is that not only are they not supposed to eat during the daylight hours, they're not supposed to drink either. Right? So. Um, when the sun rises, they're not going to be eating again until sunset. And depending on, you know, the further north you are, that's a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? During, um, uh, during the London Olympics, Ramadan was right during the Olympics and daylight hours during the Olympics were in, in England was 15 hours a day. You know, that's a long time to go without food. Um, anyway, the, um, uh, most of what you, what, you, what you find in terms of when they eat is they, they'll eat a large meal. The largest meal of the day is probably at the end of, at sunset, right? Um, depending on when that occurs. So just for argument's sake, let's say sunset occurs at, at 8 o'clock, right? Um, after that, from 8 to 9 or whatever, they're going to have a, have a big meal, right? may have, then when you eat that middle meal, you know, and then they're going to have a big meal at breakfast, which if, if sun rises at six o'clock in the morning, then they're going to be having a big meal between five and six, which somebody's getting up at five, four 30 to start preparing it probably, mm. maybe, um, regardless. So when you have that meal in the meantime, in the middle of the night? And what you find is that a lot of people will have a, you know, their quote, lunch, unquote, probably right before they go to sleep, maybe around 11 o'clock. So a big meal at eight another smaller meal, at 11, bigger meal, about five. And with that, they'll get, you know, if they're doing that, they're getting, you know, five or six hours of sleep and then to try to extend the amount of sleep they get during 24 hour period they try to take a nap in the afternoon. They can take a good, you know, one to two hour nap in the afternoon. That's, that's, it's going to help an awful lot. Okay. Not just two hour. If you're taking a two hour nap, it's two hours. You're not thinking about not eating.
0: That's a good point.
1: That's a, that's a good. That's good.
0: Now, for those players that, that can't take that nap, um, is that just maybe one sacrifice they're gonna have to make in terms of performing at their highest?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It is. All right. But you, know,
0: but you know, I'm sure some of those people that
1: know that's gonna happen, they'll start adjusting their sleep cycles in the you know the month before Ramadan starts. You know, if okay. they're used to eight hour, seven or eight hours of sleep, they're gonna be working trying to get down to, you know, seven and a half or six and a half. So it's not a shock, you know. It doesn't you know, change from eight to six in one night?
0: So we talked about the best windows to eat in. What what are some of the best windows that players can train in? A lot of questions have come in about I want to participate in training. I just don't know when. Um, when's the best time to?
1: There's the researchers looked at three different times a day to see which is best for training. Um, one is. Right after the morning meal, okay. So after breakfast, the other is right before the evening meal, and the other and the third at the time is is right after sunset. Means you're delaying the meal, the evening meal, a little bit. Um, and what you find is that the best uh, uh, performance uh, was rephrase that. The worst performance is is going to be at the uh, morning session. Mm. All right. Um, your circadian rhythm is at a low low point, so you just you're just not going to be you're not going feel right. You know, it takes you an hour or so being upright just to get used to the day, you know, to just get up and go out and do it. That's tough. Um, now, uh, before sunset or after sunset, um, there's a lot of um, a lot of pluses to um, after sunset. Number one is you probably have had a little bit of a meal beforehand, so you have, feel somewhat um, uh, satiated, feel a little bit full. You're not going to eat a lot, but you're just going to eat something as soon as the sun goes down. Um, probably going to drink, because you don't do those two things if you're if you're training before sunset. Right? So you're feeling hungry, you're feeling thirsty, and now you're asking me to go out and work hard? I nah, no, don't really feel real good about that. But if you wait a little bit till after sunset, yeah, I don't feel too bad now. i got some food in my stomach. I've had some water. I've had some fluids. Let's go. So you'll find that um, most um, uh, most teams, especially Muslim-majority teams, they're going to shift to training after dark.
0: Mm. And if you do do that, you're able to, again, keep that high intensity that we talked about. Yep, and it's easier to keep the intensity up. Gotcha, gotcha. So um, the hard
1: part, the hard part. The hard, the difficult time the difficult difficulty is that the Muslim player on a non-muslim team has got to do it all by himself mm. you know, so a team from from um, you know Oman everybody's going through it whereas a team from Detroit they only be two or three players on
0: mm.
1: so that that changes the dynamic okay gotcha on and if the coach isn't aware of that or isn't sensitive to that you could be making it awfully tough for those three players when a slight adjustment could make everything fine for everybody else. For everybody.
0: Do you have any advice to those players who want to open this conversation with their coach in terms of the best way to have that have that discussion?
1: Um well, yeah, for sure. First off, approach the coach before approach the coach before Ramadan begins. Mm. You know, don't don't surprise him and say, uh, we want to change something here, you know, starting tomorrow. We want to change something. You don't want to do that. You You want to approach the coach well ahead of time. And then just ask them, says, uh, you know, I'm Muslim. You know I'm Muslim. I'm just wondering, you know, what can I what 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 can I help you with in learning about Ramadan? Don't say what do you need? No, how can I help you expand your understanding of what Ramadan is? And then um, you're probably going to be opening a coach's eyes with about what it is. Cause I bet you that most of the coaches in the U S have very little understanding. Ramadan. Yeah. It's a fast that Muslims go through. That's probably the extent of it. You know, they don't know. You know, if you said, well, how long is it? They probably, I don't know. Two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. Four weeks, five. I don't know. Something like that. And then, uh, so what's in, what, what's, you know, so what can I do to, I, I want I want you to know more. Need you to know more about what this is because this is coming up, and we're still training, and uh, we need to help each other out here. Mm. Bring it up. Somebody needs to bring it up ahead of time, whether it's the coach making the effort to try to learn what's going on with the with Muslim players, or if it's a Muslim player reaching out to the coach, saying, "Let's, can we talk about this so we can make sure that." Everybody's on the same page, and we're doing the best we can for for everybody concerned.
0: Mm, so okay.
1: don't don't wait till you know Ramadan started. What last what was it? Last Saturday, I think. Don't wait till Friday to talk to the coach. You know, coach ought to be talked to in February or March, not okay. the day before.
0: So that way they have time to, if it's not in their training plan, to make sure that's in there well ahead of time.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Um, let's go through a few questions from our listeners here. Um, quick rapid fire here. We got about 15 to 20 minutes left. So um, one of our, our podcast listeners, Anias, he kind of made this schedule up for himself where right now he he's very lucky because he's a student in high school, but because of COVID-19, he's currently not in school right now. So he's able to adjust his schedule. So Right now, his schedule is something like this. And I, I think a lot of listeners probably are doing something like this in their in their own time. But he wakes up, middle of the morning, maybe 11, 12 noon, um, does some light technical training outside, some light ball work. And then after dinner, that's when he does his more intense physical training. That's when he does his lifting and his endurance. After sunset. After sunset, yeah. So in general, what's your thoughts on a, on a schedule like that?
1: Um. Well, we always, we always talk about soccer as being, you know, having four phases to it: the physical, uh, or um, physical, technical, tactical, and psychological components. All right. Um, just realize that uh, it's probably not a great idea to try to work the physical component twice a day during Ramadan. But
0: mm-hmm. this
1: morning session is just ball work, technical stuff, just to be familiar, keep the ball familiar then um, it's probably fine All right? because it's not going to be something that's really demanding. Yeah. It's not high intensity. And if he is working really hard so that he's working up a well with sweat and breathing hard and having to take time to recover, I'd back that down a little bit. Leave the high intensity work for after dark.
0: Okay. Gotcha. But
1: just purely technical stuff. You know, if you're going out in the backyard and juggling and dribbling around and playing against a wall, more power to you.
0: Okay. Solid. But don't
1: don't 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 try to amp up the intensity during a morning session. Save that for after dark.
0: Another question from one of our listeners, and we kind of talked about this already a little bit. um But what should players eat to maximize their performance?
1: They don't. Really, they're not going to. They don't really need to change anything. Right? Okay. but their diet is, if they've got a good, well-balanced diet, it's nice and colorful. Um, you're, you're probably all right. You don't have to make any changes, right? I wouldn't, you know, if your diet, you know, now if you're, if the person is eating a typical, you know, Western diet that's 40% carbs, 40% fat, and 20% protein, uh, then you need to change. You need to push up the carbs and drop down the fat. Mm. Um, but if their diet is well-balanced according to what most people figure is supposed to be, you know, 55 to 65% carbs, 15% protein, and the rest is fats then if you're already doing something like that, you don't need to make any changes.
0: All right. Weight
1: stable. If your weight stable, keep doing that. Any changes. The biggest change is when you eat and the sleep interruption in order to accommodate it.
0: So kind of going off of nutrition, what's the best way to maintain or even maximize the quote-unquote gains players are looking for in terms of muscle mass during Ramadan?
1: Well like I said about uh, training intensity um, or, you know, speed, endurance, power, all those sort of things. It's probably a period of time where you're going to be at best, you're going to want to maintain, right? You're not trying to push things to get lots of gains. You want to come out of Ramadan as good as you were when you went in. Mm. Right? So um, uh, in terms of, um, so I wouldn't really think that Ramadan is a period where a person is going to be trying to, is, oh, I got to lift really intense, and I got to pound the protein and whatever in order to try to put on muscle mass. That's probably not the right viewpoint during Ramadan. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a, if you've got a strength training component to your training activities, just keep doing it. Don't try to change much. If mm. You're doing it three days a week. Keep doing it three days a week. If you're doing it two days a week, keep doing it two days a week. But don't don't push. You know, by lifting more, or lifting more frequently, or lifting longer. Don't, especially during now, when when you've got the time. Don't. Well, I got the time. I'm just going to do more. Ah, you know, coming out of this, you know, well, on one, you know, I had to, I had this conversation with someone else about how to approach this this um, um, this uh, quarantine period with respect to training, and I said. Well, it depends on how you view it. Are you viewing this like winter break for Europe? Or are you viewing this as a longer off-season before the fall season? Because it's not going to be much happening between now and September, let's be honest. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it like that, then this would be the time you'd be trying to push strength training. Because off-season is when you push strength. Not during season. Push that during the off-season. But you get this little window during off-season of Ramadan. So just keep what you're doing. When you want to start pushing it, wait till afterwards. And you're back to normal circadian rhythms and all that. Hmm. So.
0: And you're, you're kind of familiar with the, the youth soccer landscape in America. And sometimes these kids, they have two practices a day. Um, any advice for a player who's going through something like that at this time?
1: Two practices a day means two different teams?
0: Uh, Either two different teams or two different sessions. Obviously, right now, not really because of of COVID, but (laughs) if any other time, if, if a player did have two practices.
1: Like I say, if they're doing two practices, one of them should be pretty light. Just ball work, right? Don't try to push intensity twice. If they're on two different teams, Muslim player on two different teams, they need to talk to both coaches. Especially if the coaches are on different training cycles. You know, for a pre- mm-hmm. early season for one team and late season for another team. You know, that, that's a that's a uh, recipe for overtraining, right? So you got to talk to both both player both coaches, so the training can be accommodated accommodated for both for both teams. Mm-hmm. You know, coaches are saying, "Well, I'm not going to change what I'm doing for that guy," you know, but it's not that guy you're worried about; it's the player you're worried about. Mm-hmm. Right? So. Um, that, that's always a problem with players playing on too many teams, playing on two different teams or more than two teams because they're never on the same schedule. And so, if, yeah, I think if you look at the overtraining literature you're gonna find in soccer, is that um, the players most at risk for us are the players that play on multiple teams, especially teams that are in different training cycles. Mm. You know, that's, a, that's a disaster waiting to happen.
0: Now, I, I think a good way to, to kind of end this podcast episode is in your 2012 paper, you wrote a a little story about a a gridiron football coach and how he kind of navigated through Ramadan. Can you kind of just explain that story? Because I, I think it's a good one for players and coaches to hear.
1: Sure. Um, it's a, you forgot one qualifier of that, a smart gridiron coach. Right? <laughs> smart got, one. Yep. This guy was really smart, right? So he... Um, this was Dearborn, Michigan, where there's a very high Muslim population. Right? Um, and he had a number of n- number of um, uh, Muslim players on his football team, American football team. Because um, I mean, the families have been in the United States for a long time. These kids are growing up. They're American It's the next kid. But they're you know, still Muslim. So and in Mo- Mo- this particular year Ramadan was going to be occurring during the fall. So he sat down with a bunch of the players he, well actually what he did was he went he went to the homes of each one of his Muslim players mm. and talked to them about what's coming to get how they approach it, get an idea about how they approach it, and try to get some ideas of what he could do to um, you know accommodate players during you know, his Muslim players during the season. What he did uh, was um, had a meeting with his team with the Muslim players educating the rest of the team about what Ramadan was. Cause these kids had no clue. Mm. You know, the coach knew now and he knew that he had to do something about this. And so he he brought all his players together and said, okay, here's our Muslim players. We're going to learn a bit more about, I want you to, I want you to hear what these guys are going to be going through coming up here in October, whenever it's going to occur. And so the players went, gave a very um, uh, uh, well thought out description of what Ramadan was to the rest of the team to let them know what, was, what they were facing, right? Now, there, had, there didn't have to be any change to the schedule because it's Friday night football, so it's after dark anyway. So did, that, that was not a problem, right? It was the five days of training, or the four days of training, and whenever they train uh, during the week. And what the, uh, now the school, because it had so many Muslim, Muslim students in it, the school had set aside a room for Muslim students to go during the lunch hour so they wouldn't be sitting around all these other people eating lunch. And that's a temptation. So mm-hmm. they gave them their own room, and that helped a bit. But the, uh, <coughs> the players took it upon themselves to uh, rotate, sitting with their teammates, skipping lunch, sitting with their teammates during the lunch hour. So, and each day there'd be two or three or four of these players would go in with their Ramadan teammates and kill the lunch hour with them, just to be with them. And the coach thought that had an enormous amount of effect on the uh, relationship of the, interrelationships within the team. To where the uh, non-Muslim students were much more cognizant and uh, accepting of what was going on during Ramadan. And um, the coach then, during his, during the period of Ramadan, he said he would um, you know, probably cycle back his training a little bit, maybe not for the first two weeks, but maybe Monday and Tuesday, and then ramp things up on Wednesday and Thursday. You know, Wednesday was probably still a challenging practice. Um, but he also shifted his practices to after dark also he wasn't doing it after school. He did it after, after dark. And uh, so people with kids who go home from school, players go home from school, do their homework and all that. And then after dark, they might get a little snack and then go out and train. And then after training, they'd have their their evening meal. So he had to work this out with the Muslim families. He had to work it out with the non-Muslim families, the non-Muslim players. It was a, it was a, Almost was a seismic shift in the design of their day during that month.
0: So what do you
1: You know, I don't remember what it had, what effect it had on their performance. You know, did they, were they an 0-4 team and all of a sudden win all their games during Ramadan? I don't know. But for the coach, it was effective, meaning that mm-hmm. he did not, he was worried about having some sort of a schism between the Muslim and non-Muslim players during Ramadan. And he didn't. He said, "If anything, they grew closer."
0: Hmm.
1: And he said that you know, for him, that was that was worth the uh, modification he had to make was a closer a closer knit team. So I that was thought that was worth relating in my little article that I wrote. I thought it was very clever. This guy was he, smart.
0: He did a few things there. So he talked to his players ahead of time. He went to each of the players' homes, talked to their family, um, looped everyone back in with the team to make a plan together. Um, the team agreed and they were able to participate together doing things like fasting together, eating lunch and making time out of their schedule to do that. And they were able to train and play in their games all at a very high level with close to no interruptions. Um, that, that's pretty incredible.
1: Mm-hmm. It is. It's a very, very smart, very smart, very intuitive uh, plan by the coach. Solid. You know, I'm, as one of my old profs in his business used to say, he said, you know, people like us don't tell a coach anything the coach hasn't already figured out here pointing to his gut. Mm. Coaches know it in their gut. People like us, we just put a number to
0: it. Right? Okay. The
1: coach yeah. knows.
0: Hmm.
1: And the coach knew it. Probably, and you know, why did he do this? Why didn't he do it last year? Probably because he had problems last year. You know, he didn't do anything and he had problems. And he says, I'm not going to have the same problems this year that I had last year. So I want to see if I can fix this.
0: Okay, gotcha. Um, well, Doc, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, very, very insightful information. And it's great to hear it from someone who not only has done research in the area, but has a background in playing and coaching as well. So I just wanted to say thank you, much. thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Well, you're welcome. I'm pleased that you uh, gave me a call. I was uh, more than happy to do
0: this. Call me anytime. All right. If if the listeners have any questions, um, is there any way they can they can contact you?
1: You have my email. Well, yes, who, sir. What do they do. Would they contact me directly or?
0: Um. Yeah. So, if, if the listeners out there, if they want to just shoot you a quick question or anything like that,
1: well, they could they could write me. But my uh, my email address is Donald underscore last name is spelled K I R. K-E-N-D-A-L-L at yahoo.com.
0: All right, solid. And we'll have that linked in the description as well. But thank you so much. We'll We'll be sure to post this episode really, really soon. And the listeners are going to love it.
1: Sure thing. Glad to help.